My name's Jana and I'm a trainee psychological wellbeing practitioner. I read the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I found it really interesting about all the different stories um, and how people got to become a clinical psychologist. It just amazed me how many different routes there are to get there and there's no perfect way to become one. And this kind of filled me with confidence that no, I'm not doing it wrong and put less pressure on myself. So if you're feeling a bit uneasy about becoming a clinical psychologist, I definitely recommend this just to put um, yourself at ease and everything will, will be okay. But trust me, you will not put the book down once you start. just wanted to start today's podcast episode by just giving you a little warning that it is going to cover risk. It's going to cover examples of how someone might pose a risk to themselves or to others. If you might find this triggering, then please take my permission and give yourself permission to listen to this at a time where you feel more robust and able to um, to engage with the content. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you'll find today's episode really useful. This is another special request episode today um, and you can make any special requests you might have um, for topics for the podcast by heading to my website goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast and then there at the top of the page is information um, for how you can submit any requests that you might have. Please do um, because I want this to be super useful for you Um, and yeah I want this to be user-led as well as just being generated by me because you know knowing that you are recognizing that I might have some useful stuff to teach you and you reaching out to me to ask uh, ask for me to teach it to you is just uh, the most incredible feeling so yeah thank you very much um, for all of the feedback that I've had and for continuing to listen Um, it means a great deal. Just a little caveat um, before we begin to let you know that the risk I will be talking about is when someone is uh, discussing perhaps a risk to themselves or someone else. But don't worry if you want some more tips on practical risk management, um, because that is coming up soon in an interview um, I'll be doing with a psychiatrist where we discuss um, how to kind of optimally prepare the environment and factors to consider about minimising risk to yourself, um, to colleagues and to clients too. 
It's also worth saying that when working with risk, it's really important to work collaboratively with your multidisciplinary team um, and, of course, with uh, psychiatry and with supervisors um, and anybody else you might have on board as part of your team. So do, do take my advice in conjunction with your own best practice guidelines. Okay, so no matter what area of psychology you are wanting to work in, it is likely that you will encounter risk and working with risk as you progress throughout your career. Um, It's certainly something that crops up for me daily in clinical practice, even if just to discuss it, um, you know, whether it's a current thing for clients or not. Now, of course, when we're working in Um, in services, risk can look like risk to themselves, risk can look like risk to others. Um, It's not really the done thing to (laughs) to define a word by using the word, is it? So let me define risk without using the word risk. Okay, so risk might look like someone who wants to um, self-harm. It might look like uh, self-harm that is superficial. It might look like self-harm that is more significant. It might involve that they have, um, you know, perhaps a plan to end their own life. Um, You may also be party to information where they're saying that they want to harm someone else. And that might be in a forensic service, um, or it might be that you um, suspect that they are having some sort of psychotic episode um, or some sort of change. So it might be that people are in, you know, perfect lucid thought telling you, that they think, you know, so so and so is going to, you know, be hurt, um, and that, of course, is is a significant event that needs to be recorded and needs to be handled um, with the client at the time. Um, so, yeah, you might handle that in a number of different ways. If you haven't already listened to episode eight of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast, then it might be useful for you to do that either before listening to this episode or um, after. Um, So episode eight is all about boundary setting um, as an aspiring psychologist. And in that I go through, um, you know, confidentiality and consent. Um, And that is also really useful stuff um, to draw upon. So I'm not going to go over all of that content again, because I don't want to, you know, duplicate what I've already said, because you won't find that that useful. But I will, I will pay lip service to what I've said, but you might well find it helpful to listen to episode eight if you haven't already, because that is going to be a more full account um, of what we're talking about um, here um, with respect to confidentiality and consent. So, um, as you'll know, um, when we're working with people, we've already gone through our confidentiality and consent. Um, And that is especially useful when you then get issues where risk is cropping up. So if someone were to say that they, you know, wanted to hurt themselves or someone else, then you will then obviously respond appropriately in the moment. Um, But also think with them about your, you know, your needing to keep themselves 
and others safe and that they're aware um, that you have that duty of care to do that you've got that clinical responsibility that you've got to look after everybody um, to keep them safe it's a big job guys it's a big job let's take a boat take a moment take a breath It is a big job and it matters and what you're doing matters. Um, But we're here, we're in the moment and the client has suggested that they want to to hurt themselves or someone else. It can be useful um, to think about time frame. Um, It can be useful. um, So, for example, someone has said that they, you know, they've got a plan to end their own life then it can be useful to think about, well, have you have you got a time frame for that? Is that something that you've, you know, you've got um, set in mind for a particular time or a particular date? And they might well tell you or they might well not. Um, and when people are less wanting to share information, then it's, it's more worrying. Um, it can be more worrying. Obviously, this is going to be a case by case example, and you will definitely need to access supervision of your own about this. So please don't just use this advice to formulate um, your plans, but it can be in mind, and especially if you're not yet in clinical practice, it can be useful for you to think about, well, what would I do? Um, What might I do? How could I handle that? So that's my little caveat. Um, This is a guide, um, but you will obviously need to follow your own protocols and procedures um, and check in with your management and your supervisors. So someone has told you that they've got a plan. Um, They perhaps won't share with you um, what time frame it's going to be, but maybe they have shared with you the method and it's, you know, detailed enough that that feels worrying, you know, that feels scary. Um, and it might be that if it involves harm to someone else that they've shared with you details about what that might involve and what kind of time frame that might take as well. And, you know, it's it's tricky because you're going to be feeling all kinds of things going on. You're going to be feeling, you know, pressure. You're going to be feeling, um, you know, the importance and the significance of getting this right. Um, when I was an aspiring psychologist, um, certainly sometimes when I was even working as a trainee psychologist, if somebody told me um, that they wanted to, to end their life, then there might have been a tendency or a desire to run out of the room as soon as possible and kind of get psychiatry involved. Um, But actually, we need to think about how that feels as a client communicating this painful information. And actually, what can be really useful is to work through with the client, um, you know, what they're thinking and what they're feeling, exploring a little bit about what might have contributed to the way they're feeling and why. Um, Really try to help contain um, the person you're speaking to so that they feel like they have shared something with you that then feels safe. It's not left them feeling 
over vulnerable or overstretched. Um, how you respond and when you respond and with what flavour and tone of compassion and warmth and empathy and positive regard really does matter. Um, you know, if we are to run out of the room when someone tells us something like that, then it might actually lead the client to feeling that they're problems are too big to cope with um, or that they it might lead to them feeling even more you know unsafe or you know less contained and when people are not contained you know what we know is that they're going to be acting from uh, more from a point of um, you know the red area of their window of tolerance they're not going to be able to engage their soothing and calming thoughts you know they're going to be all out of whack um, and you know logical thought with compassion on their side is not going to be you know firing okay so what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to help the client feel heard seen valid important we don't want to be running away we're going to break for a quick break here and i'll be back afterwards to talk with you more about how we can recognize and work with risk as aspiring psychologists To become a psychologist Then let this be your guide Filled with lessons and experience That will help you get qualified So come and take a look It's right here in this book It's the Clinical Psychologist Collective It's the Clinical Psychologist Hi, I'm Max, and I work as an assistant psychologist in the Learning Disability Service in West Yorkshire. Like most people working in psychology, I'm slowly but surely working myself up to that seemingly impossible goal of getting onto the clinical doctorate. With that end goal in mind, I thought I'd have a look at what's out there and see what books might be helpful for this. I came across Marianne's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, and decided that this would be a great buy for me to help me on my journey. I found Marianne's book really informative, most insightful. I especially liked how the stories reassured me that you don't need to be academically perfect to become a psychologist, and that as long as you have good interpersonal skills, such as compassion and empathy, you will get there. I would highly recommend this book to all aspiring psychologists and also those who want to know a bit more about the world of clinical psychology and maybe want to work in that field one day.
Okay, welcome back. Um, so before we um, broke, we were thinking about what risk is, what it might look like, what it might involve, and how we can try to optimally respond. Um, it's important that you are able to get information um, about about what people are telling you um, because it might be that you need to communicate that accurately to other services as well. It might be that you are going to need to summon an ambulance or you are going to need to summon police, um, Coast Guard. You know, it might be that you need to call um, the railways uh, emergency line. Um, is it true? Transport police, I think it's transport police, but um, a quick Google will reveal who the right people to um, contact are. I believe there's a specific um, telephone line for if someone has suggested that they are going to attempt to end their own life on the railway. And what I will do is I will try and dig that out and put that in the show notes for you. Um, when I was working in the NHS, we were given like a little card um, to have on our keys, um, which gave the number, but it snapped off. And so I don't have it anymore. <laughs> but there is a specific number um, that you can call. So I will try my best to get hold of that. Um, yeah, pop it in your diary um, because it might be really useful. So I have always, when working in um, clinical roles, at the front of my diary, I have had important numbers, um, including the crisis team, including Samaritans, including, um, you know, numbers such as, you know, transport police and, you know, any relevant people in your area that help in crisis situations because it really could make the difference if you're having to scrabble around and look for a number um, in a moment where actually there isn't much time it's much better to be able to open up your diary get to where you need to be and respond so take a little bit of moment especially if you're um, setting up a new diary for the year or you're setting up in a new role you know get a little bit of an idea of what do I do if the worst happens what do I do if something happens that means that I need to take immediate safeguarding actions so it might be that you've got your local adult or um, child safeguarding um, contact details in your important phone number section they would be very useful ones for you to have um, indeed so yeah a little bit of time in advance of when you're going to need this information is absolutely time well spent in my opinion when we are um, getting to know clients it can be useful to think about screening for risk so there are of course specific screening measures that you can use um, I tend to when it's generic just use um, the core outcome measure um, because it does screen for risk and it will tell you whether someone is clinically significant for risk or not so that's a really useful place to start but of course things like the um, the GAD7 and the PHQ9 they also screen a little bit for risk as well um, 
But yeah, it's an idea to monitor risk. Um, so, you know, it can be useful to do before, during and after measures. Um, so your before might happen um, at assessment. Your during uh, might happen, um, you know, at the point that you start therapy um, or mid therapy. And then depending on how long your intervention is, um, you might want to repeat those measures as well. And then obviously have measures again at the close. But what we'd be hoping for is that with whatever brilliant work that you and your team are doing, that their well-being improves, their problems decrease, their functioning, their functioning um, gets better, and of course their risk decreases. Um, That is, you know, the gold standard for what I would think of as a piece of work well done indeed. And of course, um, you know, what we've covered in the boundary setting episode of the podcast is, well, what happens if it's only really after you have the session that you, you know, your your cogs start whirring or you piece together something that you hadn't really picked up on in the session or you suddenly think, well, actually, now I've discussed that with my supervisor, that does feel a lot riskier than I felt it was at the time. You know, what do we do then? Um, And it might be that you're needing to um, access safeguarding or refer to safeguarding or activate, you know, a keep safe plan um, without getting hold of the client if, in fact, you haven't been able to get hold of them. And if you haven't been able to get hold of them, that's further evidence that we need to put our keep safe plan in place. Now, most services that I'm aware of ought to have care plans. Um, So it's hopefully something that you're familiar with um, and it might be something that all of your multidisciplinary team feed into as well. Um, So there might be care planning elements from psychiatry, uh, there might be care planning elements from from a care coordinator um, or from, you know, occupational therapy, for example. Um, And you might well be able to feed into that as well with any work that you've been doing. Um, So care planning is where we are getting a sense of what might be useful and how we're going to achieve that but elements of risk would be covered there as well and in your individual trust or environment there will likely be risk screening tools and risk screening measures that go into the care planning process so um, I'm trying to think what the name of my clinical note software was called in the NHS. It was either Epex or Lorenzo, and I can't for the life of me. I think it was Epex, the most recent one. Um, it's only just under a year ago. It's, you know, fallen straight out of my head. Or was it Care Notes? I think it was Care Notes. So yeah, I think there's three different genesis there of Epex, Lorenzo, and Care Notes. And I've also used Rio as well. But these cl- clinical notes systems will often have, um, you know, ways to to specifically screen for and manage risk. So do check out your organisational practices as well. But so to summarise, you know, what we've done in today's podcast episode is we've thought about risk to selves, risk to others, um, and ways to manage, record and monitor that risk. Um, It's also useful to think about whether self-harm 
always means you know suicide and when we're working with um adolescent population and we're working with parents of adolescents sometimes it can be helpful to just separate those two actions a little bit so if you've got um, a young person who's cutting for example but cutting in a superficial way then it doesn't always necessarily equate that that client is suicidal so sometimes it can be useful to you know with the client's consent share that with the family you know actually the client the client has told me or you know you might you might um, I've sometimes fed that back with a young person in the room at the same time as their parent Um, actually you know so and so is not suicidal they're not feeling suicidal but they are feeling um, you know a bit lost or a bit wobbly and they're finding that this helps them have some control at the moment and of course what we want to do is move towards being able to learn skills um, to you know ameliorate this distress you know so that they can have control in different ways so you know sometimes having that conversation with people can be useful and of course what we know is that people who do self-harm are more likely to go on to have um, you know suicidal thoughts or um, intentions but it's not always the case Um, so you know we can't be resting on our laurels here and guaranteeing that you know that someone is not going to become suicidal but currently at the point of assessment um, if that is indeed what you are assessing um, it looks like there is no suicidal intent currently Oh, people, this is big stuff, isn't it? This is important stuff. And you are out there doing this work or you will be in future. And it matters, you know, it matters to matters to you. It matters to clients that you may be working with currently. It matters to clients who you may not even have met yet. It matters to clients who may be out there living their best life right now Um, but when they need you you will be there Um, and you will have that theory and practice ready to roll um, to help make that difference and that is so incredible Um, well done to you Um, and thank you for listening to this episode I hope you find it useful like I said it was a special request so if you've got any special requests of your own then do go and check out the podcast section of my website goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast to submit your special requests I hope you find uh, the upcoming information on the compassionate Q&A you can watch um depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you can definitely watch the first one. And by the time this comes out, you might well be able to watch the second one on replay as well. The easiest way to do that is by heading to Good Thinking Psychological Services on YouTube. Whilst you're there, be rude not to. You might as well like and subscribe, you know, subscribe to the channel, like all the videos, fling a few comments in. Um, It would be so welcomed. Thank you for listening and I hope you find the content useful. I'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Don't forget that new episodes land at 6am on a Monday UK time. Um, So subscribe via your podcast channels and that's when they'll drop into your podcast library or just go searching for them at 6am on a Monday uh, and be hot off the press. Um, Take care, have a lovely day, whatever you're up to. Um, And again, thank you for being part of my world. 
thank you again for being part of my world and for listening right to the end. We've just got a little bit coming up about the compassionate Q&A series and then you can enjoy the jingle. Take care. And like I said, if you'd like to get involved with um, your own story for the Aspiring Psychologist Collective, then do check out the details in the um, show notes for how you can request more information. But if you head to my um, website, which is goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk and then head to my books, there will be information there for you. Being well supported during any interview season is so important. I have therefore uh, planned some compassionate question and answer support sessions for you. You are absolutely welcome to come along to all of them, some of them, none of them. No need to book and here are the dates for you. Monday the 28th of February from 7.30pm. Monday the 21st of March, 7.30pm, Monday the 4th of April, 7.30pm and Monday the 9th of May, 7.30pm. And they will all be live streaming via my socials, uh, which includes Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn and Facebook. So you can absolutely pick your favourite platform and they'll all be available on replay as well. Hope you find it so useful and I will look forward to catching up with some of you then. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.